She actually started Nika at the age of 50, so she had a lot more life experience and wisdom than the average startup founder who typically they're starting up in their 20s, maybe their early 30s. And then besides that, before becoming an entrepreneur, she was a successful investment banker. So she knew her way around money, investments, finances. And so because of that, she was able to make prudent financial decisions for the company. She didn't have to follow that conventional startup wisdom of move fast and break things and burn through a bunch of investor money. Instead, she was able to find a balance between growing quickly and growing sustainably. And that's why she is now worth $7 billion. Now, I have seen a lot of people online saying that they think Nika is overvalued. Obviously, this is a subjective thing. It does depend on the model that you're using to calculate that valuation. It depends on the factors that you're taking into consideration. But one thing that I would say is that this market is still very nascent, despite the fact that Nika has been around for some time now, and now there's some competition coming up in this space as well. Most of, a large majority of India's beauty and personal care market is still offline. And so as that market moves online, the market opportunity for Nika and its competitors is going to grow. And I think that's one of the reasons why Nika is currently so highly valued at 1 lakh crore rupees. All right, next up, this video is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Jungle Ventures, one of Southeast Asia's oldest and biggest VC firms. And today, I wanted to highlight a video that they made on their YouTube channel about how to find a co-founder for your startup. And this is something that at one point or another, a lot of startup founders struggle with. Maybe you're on your own and you know exactly what you want to build. It's a product, it's a service, and you're a technical co-founder, but you need someone to come on as a CEO, someone who can lead a team, someone who can pitch to investors, someone charismatic, someone with a long-term vision, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're that kind of person, but you really don't know how to program or code. You're not an engineer, you're not a developer, and you need a technical co-founder to come on and help you out. Or maybe you're on your own and you're wondering, do I even need a co-founder? And this this video addresses all of those things. If you're planning to start up someday or you're in that position right now where you want to start up but you need a co-founder, I would highly recommend that you check it out. And here's my favorite clip from that video. You should see your co-founder as another life partner. Someone you will share the burden and joy of being responsible for the company, the employees, the clients. You need someone fully committed, whom you trust, who knows all about the business. You will need a lot of emotional supports. That's critical, as the road to success or failure is incredibly difficult. You will need someone to share the ups and downs, cheer you up, round you when needed. There will be things that you will not be able to share with your employees, but will need to get support from your co-founder. So if that clip piqued your interest, you can find a link to the full video in the description and pinned comment down below. And believe it or not, the idea for that video actually came to Jungle Ventures from one of their subscribers. So they're always listening to their audience, they're asking for feedback and advice on which topics to cover next. And that's one of the reasons why you should head over there and hit subscribe right now. Because like I said earlier, they're one of Southeast Asia's oldest and biggest VC firms. So they have tons of knowledge and wisdom and experience that they're excited and ready to share with you guys and all you got to do to gain access to that is head over there and hit subscribe. And thanks to Jungle Ventures for sponsoring this video. 
All right, next up in the news, let's talk about Paytm's IPO. This is an interesting juxtaposition here between Nika's IPO, which was oversubscribed 82X, and Zomato's IPO, which was oversubscribed 38X. These were very successful IPOs. And then we've got Paytm's IPO, which was only oversubscribed 1.9X. In fact, the non-institutional investors that participated in this IPO, the HNIs, the retail investors, people like you and me, actually undersubscribed. They only subscribed 24% out of 100%, and anything above 100% would have been considered oversubscription. So it was actually only because of the QIBs, the qualified institutional buyers, that this IPO was even successful, that it was even oversubscribed in the first place. And some people are saying that this was because Paytm's IPO was so big at 18,300 crore rupees, but I think it has more to do with their revenues. They've consistently been able to grow their user base, their customer base, but they haven't actually been able to grow their revenues at least in the last four years, their revenues have been pretty stagnant. Their revenues have just hovered around 3,000 crore rupees for the last four years, despite the fact that they have tried to diversify, they have tried to launch new products and services like Paytm Mall or Paytm First Games to actually monetize their customer base, but it just hasn't been working. They haven't been able to do that. And you gotta keep in mind that Paytm is a loss-making company. Now, I know this all sounds like doom and gloom. The reality is though that Paytm's IPO was a success. It wasn't a massive success like Zomato's IPO or Nika's IPO, but it was a success nonetheless. And there's a lot of people out there that are very bullish on Paytm. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that is there's still a lot of people in India that are underserved when it comes to payments and financial services. And so it's going to be up to Paytm to actually capture that market and then eventually monetize those people because they haven't been doing that very well. They haven't been able to grow their revenues. They haven't been able to become profitable, although they have said that that's something that they're targeting. So let's see what Paytm is able to do moving forward. All right, next up in the news, API Holdings, which is the parent company of India's largest digital healthcare platform, Farmeasy, has filed their DRHP, and they're gonna be raising 6,250 crore rupees from this IPO. Now, the interesting thing about this IPO is that none of the company's existing stakeholders are gonna be exiting. They're not gonna be selling their stake because they believe in the long-term success of Farmeasy and API Holdings. So then the next logical question is why? Why is Farmeasy? going public if it's not to provide their investors with an exit. Well, according to Siddharth Shah, one of the co-founders of the company, they're doing it because it's the next logical step in the company's journey. They want to build a robust, sustainable, and long-term business, and they think that going public is going to enable them to do that. Now, I should mention here that Farmeasy is a loss-making startup. Between the financial year of 2020 and the financial year of 2021, their losses actually increased by 2x. But during the same time period, their revenues also increased by 3x. So their revenues are increasing faster than their losses, which is a good sign. And this is mainly because of the inorganic growth strategy that the startup has been following. Back in 2014, when Farmeasy started, they were basically just the Zomato of pharmaceutical delivery. They would deliver your medicine, your prescriptions, and that was about it. But now, because of their active diversification, because of all the companies that they've been acquiring, they've been able to expand into other spaces like online consultations and diagnostic tests as well. And then they also have a B2B service for hospitals too. All right, next up in the news, Ola has officially launched the pilot of their online grocery delivery service. 
service. This space, of course, is very hot right now. You've got Zepto. Everybody's talking about this new startup founded by two 19-year-old Stanford dropouts. But you've also got Swiggy Instamart in the same space. You've had Dunzo there for a while. Zomato is getting into this now. You've always had Grofers and Big Basket. So there's a lot of players in this space. And this is what Ola is doing. They're diversifying. They're entering into new markets because they're planning on going public. And they want to make their startup as attractive to new investors as possible. That's why they're getting into EVs with Ola Electric. That's why they're getting into online used cars with Ola Cars. They're actively diversifying and they're doing it in a relatively risk-free way. Back in 2015, Ola tried to get into online grocery delivery, but they were competing with Uber. It was neck and neck, and they decided that they couldn't allocate any of their resources to this new venture, and so they shut it down. Back then, online grocery delivery in India wasn't very popular. It was still a nascent market. Whereas now, after the pandemic, people are much more willing to accept this idea of ordering groceries to your home, paying some delivery fees, but paying for that convenience of not having to go out to the store and actually buy groceries physically in person. So this is what Ola is doing now. They wait for other people to do all of the trailblazing, all of the groundwork, and then once those markets have been established, once consumer behavior is starting to change, then they come in and they start competing with those people who went ahead of them. And honestly, I think this makes a lot of business sense. I think that this is a smart approach for a company as big as Ola. Rather than taking risks and trying to carve out new markets, just wait for other people to do the work, and then you can come in later on and start to compete with those people. All right, next up in the news, it looks like AI-powered personal voice assistant startup Nikki.ai has shut down. And this is really surprising because in February of 2021, just a couple of months ago, the company had said that they had seen a thousand percent growth in the financial year of 2021 and that they were targeting international expansion very soon. Now, with this personal assistant, you could pay your bills, you could order a cab or a bus, you could order groceries, and it was available in four Indian languages. However, now, according to Endtracker, it looks like they've laid off most of their employees, their website seems to be non-functional, and we tried to log into their app, but it's not working. Now, unfortunately, it seems like this is a classic case of a startup that wasn't able to keep their losses in check. In the financial year of 2020, their losses exceeded their revenues by 8x. And according to Endtracker, they did look for some investors to help them sustain this high burn rate, but they were unsuccessful in that endeavor, and they weren't able to sell the company to anybody either. So they just had to shut down. But moving on to some more positive news here, let's talk about India's 34th startup unicorn of 2021, D2C beauty brand Good Glam Group. They've raised $150 million in a funding round led by Warburg Pincus and Process Ventures at a $1.2 billion valuation, which is a 12x jump from their previous valuation eight months ago of $100 million in March of 2021. So for those of you who don't know, Good Glam Group sells beauty and personal care products through their website, and they also have more than 30,000 offline retail points of sale. And lately, they've been on an acquisition spree. They recently acquired three content platforms, ScoopWoop, PopXO, and Baby Chakra, and also one D2C brand, The Moms Co. This strategy has enabled them to achieve annual recurring revenue of $120 million, and they're expecting that number to increase to $250 million. They're planning to use these fresh funds to expand their offline presence, and they're also planning to acquire two new D2C brands in the beauty and personal care spaces as well. 
All right, next up in the funding news, car rental startup ZoomCar has raised $92 million in a funding round led by Stern Aegis Ventures. Now, I think it's worth noting here that this is one of the few Indian startups that was actually founded by two non-Indian people. They're both American, David Back and Greg Morin founded this startup in 2013. David Back did end up returning to the United States, so he's no longer involved in the day-to-day operations of ZoomCar. And the company is co-directed by Greg Moran and an Indian, Sudhendra. Already. Today, Zoomcar is one of the leading car sharing marketplaces in India with more than 10,000 cars in their fleet, which you can rent for a couple of hours, a day, or even a few weeks. They also recently expanded across Southeast Asia, the Middle East, and Northern Africa. So they are a global startup at this point. They're going to be using these funds to continue their global expansion and also to invest in technologies like IoT, machine learning, and computer vision. All right, next up in the funding news, we've got a bit of a complicated deal going on between Zomato and CureFit. And once this deal goes through, once it's finalized, it'll make CureFit India's 35th startup unicorn of 2021. So the way that it's working is that Zomato is investing $50 million into CureFit for a 6.4% stake in the startup. And then at the same same time, CureFit is sending Zomato $50 million to acquire their stake in a startup called Fitso. Now, again, this deal is not finalized, so take what I'm saying here with a grain of salt, but probably next week you'll hear us reporting about India's 35th startup unicorn. All right, next up in the funding news, EdTech startup BrightChamps has raised $63 million in a funding round led by Premji Invest at a nearly $500 million valuation. So basically, what BrightChamps does is it fills the gaps left by traditional education, specifically when it comes to technology skills. And we all know this, right? In school, we didn't learn a lot of the skills that most of us are using in our day-to-day professional lives surrounding technology. And this is why BrightChamps has been able to achieve $10 million in annual recurring revenue. They've expanded to 10 countries now, and they are profitable. They're going to be using these funds to strengthen their position in the markets that they're already in, and also to expand into new markets like the United States and Canada. All right, next up in the funding news, D2C mattress brand WakeFit has raised $27 million in a funding round led by Susquehanna International Group. Currently, WakeFit is selling mattresses and other furniture items worth 410 crore rupees annually. They sell these products through their website and their 22 offline stores. And they're planning to use these funds to strengthen their omni-channel model and also invest into their logistics and supply chain. All right, that is all the startup news that I have for you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed the video. I hope you learned something from it. And if you did, it would mean a lot to us if you could hit the like button, share this video with a friend or two, and also hit subscribe if you haven't already because we post new videos every single week about Indian startups, entrepreneurs, and the latest news. Also, big thanks to our Backstage with Millionaires members, our Unicorns, our Decacorns, and our Hectacorns, as well as everybody who's been sending super thanks our way in the comments. You guys are all amazing. Your financial support really means a lot to us. But even if you can't afford to financially support what we do, here. Just the fact that you've made it this far in the video is plenty of help. So thank you guys so much for watching this episode of Backstage with Millionaires, and I will see you in the next one.